Happy New Year and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. It is our first podcast of 2018 and our first podcast since the Camping World Bowl. we got a lot to cover, including the bowl game and a lot of other stuff. And we'll also hit on a few NFL topics that have uh, Virginia Tech ties as well. Andy, how was your holiday? It was good. I should mention that we, we probably need to upgrade our uh, podcast technology. We haven't had one of these since before the bowl game, like two weeks or a week and a half before the bowl game. I think our last one was like titled like Trayvon McMillan Leaves. Like, <laughs> that feels like ages ago when the last time we did this podcast. It's difficult to get together around the holidays, obviously. It wasn't going to be viable to bring this microphone and stuff down to Orlando to do one there. So maybe we'll figure out a way to do one uh, from remote locations uh, in the future a little bit easier. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun to do them from the bowl site. I think we've done that before. And you can kind of well, I was, around I was able stuff. to. I was able to uh, drive the microphone to Charlotte last year. Getting okay. it, get it on a flight is like, this is just too much. I don't want to deal with this. Yeah, yeah, but it, you can talk about some of the antics going on during the bowl week and things like that, but our our pick wouldn't have changed. That's part of the problem. He's like, you you know the bowl matchup in early December, and then, you, you know, how many times are you going to break down the same, you know, contrast of styles? I mean, you know, the game itself doesn't really change in between unless there's a bunch of injuries or somebody suspended and all that stuff. Or Trayvon McMillan doesn't play, that kind of thing. Well, I think, uh, I can't remember, was Cam Phillips officially declared out before yeah. we did that podcast or whatever it was uh my, my prediction didn't really change and it had and almost ended up in right i had the tenor of the game right i picked yeah. them to lose by 10 they lost by nine uh obviously the line could have changed right there at the end if they scored a touchdown but i think both of us sort of predicted what was going to happen in that game close to what happened correct uh, yeah, I said 10 points, too. And I think we needed a needle Norm Wood from the Daily Press. Remember when the uh, the original line and over-under came out, he said, the easiest money in the world is the over, right? That, this game went under. Did, what was the over-under, 63 think, or something? No, I think it was like 58 or something. I mean, it, it didn't come close to going over, I don't think. Uh, what was it, 51? 51, 51 yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it was low scoring. I mean, it had to be low scoring. That was the game plan for the Hokies to be in this one, is to control the ball uh, keep that offense off the field, run the ball, which they, they did all these things. They just fumbled the ball on the one-yard line. They uh, had another red zone trip later on where Josh Jackson missed a guy in the end zone, and they ended up not getting it on fourth down. I mean, those are two drives right there. Uh, touchdown, and you, you could have possibly kicked a field goal later. Uh, if you had a touchdown earlier, that would have made more sense given the score, and, and that's the difference in the game. So they had the right game plan. They just you know made too many mistakes and couldn't quite execute it. Do you go back and actually watch the video of the game? I have not. Okay. Uh, I, I just haven't had time to. Uh, do, you, do you have a firm grasp of what happened on that fumble at the one-yard line? I still can't figure out exactly why that ball got loose and, and how that happened. It sounds like it was just a bad exchange. Uh, people's had the ball in his stomach, and it's one of those mesh plays where Jackson either pulls it or gives it to him, and he was going to pull it at the last second. And people's is a strong guy, is what Jackson said afterwards, and he kind of went through with it, and, and they just lost it. And it, you know, I saw a lot of people getting upset about that play call on first and goal from the one. Uh, it really was inside the one, and. 
my thought about that is they wouldn't have had any trouble with just calling that regular play if it was anywhere on the field. That's sort of the offense. Is they're a shotgun team. They do a lot of those mesh plays. Uh, I don't quite know why you would switch things up necessarily. I mean, they were going straight down the field. They had no problem with any exchanges going down there. And people were like, oh, it's an unnecessary risk-reward situation there. I'm like, it's, it's a basic handoff that they do all the time. I really can't recall many fumbles that they've had on that exchange. Fuente said they've done it 10,000 times with no problems. You know, that's a day one thing that they do. I I wonder if people are still thinking in, in like the past of what Virginia Tech's offense was, was under center, line up, smash it. I mean, I feel like there's potentially more risk in a, a fumble and an under center snap just because they don't do that so often in this offense. Yeah, I think if they'd have done like an option pitch or something like that, something they don't normally do very much of, I think you could make a better case that it was a bad play call. Yeah, I think it's one of those scenarios where they just didn't didn't run the play right, um, and that happens. I was thinking about this the other day. You know, just given what we know now about about Fuente's disdain for turnovers, just imagine how much he was fuming during that battle at Bristol. I mean, you, we we every coach hates turnovers. We know that, but I mean, just the way that Fuente views them, uh, that battle of Bristol. How many fumble five fumbles lost? I mean, that was. That was his second game as head coach and his first legitimate, you know, big game uh, that he had. I wonder if this one miffed him even more. Uh, you know, none of those in the Battle of Bristol came at the one-inch line no. or wherever it was. And think about the, the how that changed the tenor of the game. You're up 7-3. to three, You've just gone straight through the defense for 90 yards. It was like a 17-play, 18-play, 90-yard drive. I mean, they, they ate up so much clock, so much field. They kept the you know Oklahoma State's offense on the sideline, uh, and then they missed an opportunity to go up 14 to three. I mean, 14 to three. All of a sudden, maybe Oklahoma State presses a little bit more. Maybe Virginia Tech can take a few more chances on defense if it wants to. Uh, the thing could snowball from there. Instead, at seven to three, Oklahoma State comes down, gets a field goal at the other end, seven to six. I mean, that's that's just such a huge difference difference in that game. I'm not saying they lost because of that play, but man, that play really could have changed things early. Yeah, and a nice game from McLeese. I didn't even put him on my sheet, but I mean, he had what 120 something yards. Uh, pretty pretty good game for him. He hadn't had more than 75, I don't think, or 79, something like that, in a previous game. Yeah, he he finally got some carries. I mean, he got 18 carries, which I think was a career high. Uh, produced 124 yards, I think it was, uh, which was also a career high. You know, the caveat being he wasn't exactly going against the 85 Bears as a defense out there. A lot of people had run through Oklahoma State, but you know that's what they need to do. Virginia Tech is. They controlled the line of scrimmage, I thought, for a lot of that game till uh, the end when Oklahoma State kind of just sort of was able to tee off on Jackson because they knew it was passing situations. But uh, when the game was still close, Virginia Tech ran the ball very well. Uh, so that's an encouraging sign going forward to next year. You get McLeese, Peoples, uh, Jalen Holston all coming back. Uh, you know, they lose Trayvon McMillan. I'll be honest, I don't think they're really going to feel that that much. I, did, I don't know how much of a role Trayvon would have had. I think that's the reason he decided to transfer. Was he wasn't quite sure of that. But to see McLeese run like that and then added on to the way he ran against Pitt, the way he against, uh, ran against Virginia at the end of the year, uh, you know, I think that's 100 or 280-some yards or something like that those last couple games. Uh, that's pretty encouraging for the future to see a guy like that finally start to break out. Well, you mentioned controlling the line of scrimmage, and I think that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up because, 
you know, a lot of times if they don't run the ball well, we say, well, that offensive line needs to block better. But they, they did a good job. I mean, that offensive line deserves a little bit of credit there for uh, for opening some holes. And as you said, I mean, Oklahoma State's not known as a, as a brick wall. Uh, but still, you got to make the blocks, and they, and they did. They were able to control the ball uh, flawlessly, really. Yeah, I think uh, they're going to miss Wyatt Teller next year. Uh, you know, you don't really highlight a single guy. I think he had a pretty good game. Eric Gallo, uh, you know, had a bad snap somewhere in there. I think it was a fourth down play where it was a low snap, and you know, again, it sacked for a big loss. Uh, you know, but he was still a solid player throughout his career. Uh, presumably, you'll get Nijman back next year. I don't know if there's really been much NFL talk with him. I think potentially it could have been, but that injury at the end of the year, I don't think he's exactly sky high with his draft stock right now. Uh, but you get him back, you get some other guys that have played some games. You know, we'll see what that offensive line is like going forward. But l- losing Teller, I mean, that man, that guy's a masher. I mean, first team All ACC. Tech hasn't had a guy like that since I think Blake DeChristopher in 2011. Uh, and DeChristopher wasn't even that kind of guy. He wasn't really sort of that knock him on their butt kind of guy. So, uh, yeah, they're going to miss Wyatt Teller. But it, it's a strong game for him and, and the offensive line, I think, to finish things up. Didn't he politely decline interview requests afterwards and said – All oh, season. He said he'd pay if you want to come out to the super, uh, the, to the senior bowl and do it there. He has a lot to say, I think. He does. Yeah, I'd love to go down to the senior bowl. I. I know people in Mobile. No, actually, I think they moved to Atlanta now. I was going to say I could probably stay with people I know in Mobile. But, uh, yeah, I was, I'm was. i hoping at some point before the Senior Bowl he'll sit down and actually talk with us. But uh, all season he declined to talk. That was a big loss in the media room because he was a great talker. You know, we get to every interview session every week. It's like, where are the talkers on this team? It's like, oh, yeah, it's Wyatt Teller. And he's not talking to us. <laughs> so, you know, we missed out on that. You know, David Wilson, Jack Tyler, Anton Exum, you know, James Gale, Michael Brewer type that would be great for, for interviews from week to week. Yeah. Well, I ended up writing about Jackson for the next day's paper. And Josh Jackson was not an easy column to write because you don't want to bury the guy. I mean, certainly he's, he's a redshirt freshman. Uh, he, there's a learning curve there. But, I, you know, you do, you do look at the statistics and the way they were trending at the end of the year, and, and the statistics weren't trending in the right direction. And, and then part of that is the fact that they, they, they played a bunch of nobodies early in the season. But part of that is that, you know, he took a few more risks, and, and, and you know, he didn't, he didn't have a lot of touchdown passes. I think he had three after, after November 1st, maybe four? I think it was four. Okay. Uh, that's not a lot. I mean, in five games. Um, what, what do you – I mean, what, what are you? What are your thoughts on Jackson in general right now? Like where he is as a player and where he is going into next year in that quarterback competition. You know, maybe a little bit higher than a lot of the fans seem to think, and you, people seem to not have a memory longer than three weeks or whatever has just happened recently. I, th- I thought Jackson had a very good redshirt freshman season, and you're going to look at uh, you know his total stats. I think he threw for nearly three thousand yards. Uh, you know, it wasn't long ago that that was really rare in Virginia Tech for a guy to do that, especially a redshirt freshman. He accounted for 26 touchdowns, threw for 20, ran for six, uh, nine interceptions, I believe here. Yeah, I'm calling up the numbers here, finally. Um, those are good stats for a season long. I mean, I, I think uh, obviously the schedule got tougher at the end of the year. That factored into it. I think he was beat up a little bit at the end of the year. I know he had a foot thing. He got hit on the elbow in that Miami game. I don't know if that was affecting him. Uh, later in the year because he certainly missed some throws that were there in the bowl game. I think even he was the first to say it wasn't uh, his sharpest effort. Uh, But I think you have to remember who's playing around him too. I mean, you lose that blindside protection in Yashua Nijman. 
Uh, I think Parker Osterloh had some troubles uh, in that bowl game, keeping up with the edge rushers out there. Uh, you know, y- you lose Cam Phillips for a game like that. That's a pretty good receiver not to have at your disposal. Uh, you know, Sean Savoy didn't even really show up in the bowl game. I think he had one catch or one carry, something like that, for no yards. You're dealing with a, a bunch of freshmen and sophomores and other inexperienced guys, maybe upperclassmen, but but they're, they're juniors, but but not that experienced in the receiving game. Uh, freshman tight end started most of the year. Uh, I, I just think you add up all this stuff, and that's a pretty good effort for the season. I, I don't quite know why people are so bearish on him going forward and just assuming that, oh, uh, Hendon Hooker is going to win the job from him next year, or in some sort of pipe dream, Quincy Patterson, who I, you know, honestly, I think he's due for a redshirt next year. He's not going to get in here until the summer. I think it's really, really hard for a true freshman quarterback to win a job in that short period of time. But I don't know why the assumption is that Hendon Hooker would be so much better than a Josh Jackson who's had 14 or 13 games of experience under his belt. I mean, that's sort of the the growing pains portions of what you have with starting a redshirt freshman. I'm curious if Fuente would want to start it again next year. Now we'll we'll see. Uh, you know, if if uh, Hooker had this tremendous offseason in his head and shoulders above Jackson, I don't think Fuente would hesitate to go back to a redshirt freshman in that deal. Who knows how? You know, they have a Kansas transfer, Ryan Willis, who had to sit out last year. We'll see if he could get into the mix as a quarterback. Uh, what becomes of A.J. Bush, you know, given his athleticism, I think they might try to get him in a different position this offseason. Receiver could be a possibility. Uh, I just think that, you know, all things considered, that was a pretty successful year for Jackson. I think people are maybe writing him off a bit too soon uh, for his career, saying, oh, he's, he's, he's reached his ceiling. He's a redshirt freshman. He's not reached his ceiling yet. He's just... He, he maybe performed about as well as he could have given the you know setup that they had this year. Well, I asked Fuente after the game what he what he thought of Jackson's performance, and I, I got an answer I kind of expected, which was he would have to look at the film. But he made a point to say, this guy is the guy that gives us the best chance to win right now, and there's no doubt in my mind about it. That's what he said. And uh, so, I mean, I think fans who are frustrated with, with uh, Jackson should probably take – that into consideration i mean this is this is the guy that fuente believes in among the among the young men he has at his disposal right now um you know jackson tweeted something do you have his tweet handy um something about appreciating the support okay here we go i appreciate the support and i appreciate all the hate i am getting i will continue to work hard as i can as i can to be the best i can be and bring this team a championship go hokies Fist emoji, turkey, chicken emoji. Chicken emoji. Chicken emoji. <laughs> For the record, there's a chicken emoji. Yeah, you just scrolled over it and it says Also chicken. a raised fist, medium dark skin tone. Okay, well, thank you for that clarification. Uh, what do we make of this tweet? Uh, you know, he's been pretty impervious to to criticism and praise, and certainly that's not a, uh, I'm going to show everybody, you know, shut up, everyone, you suck, uh, anyone who doubts me. But it was... Uh, acknowledging the hate what do you think of that well based on what people tweet about him to me i can only imagine what they're tweeting directly to him which is just a level of pathetic that i don't quite understand why fans go there with stuff like i understand it's an emotional thing and you're very invested in your team and stuff like that but are you really gonna like call out a whatever 18 19 year old however old jackson is on twitter like with a directly tweeting to somebody like that i just it just 
comes off as pathetic in my when I look at it like this. It's like tweeting at recruits when they pick a different school. It's like, oh, we never wanted you anyway. It's like, who's the adult here? Like, right. I, I don't want to sound like Mike Gundy. Maybe I do want to sound like Mike Gundy from this rant. It's like, who's the adult here? But it, it's it's just kind of – I don't know. It, I don't think you need to do that. You, you can voice your displeasure about Jackson out there. I just don't know why you have to go directly to him and say things like that that I can imagine are pretty – uh, rotten things to say to an individual, especially after you know there's a starting quarterback all year. I don't think you can fault his effort out there. It's not like he ever gave up on this team or anything like that. I think that was one thing that the coaches were impressed about him was that you know his leadership never really waned. And I know Josh doesn't come across as the most outwardly emotional guy, and sometimes people you know misconstrue that as not being a leader, or not being invested in things. But he is, and people around him say he is. So to trust me. When I say that the coaches believe that he is a leader for this team and he, that hasn't really wavered at all this season. So I don't, I, I don't know why people would have that reaction to it. It's, it's just kind of uh, boiling over frustration, I guess, in a game that a lot of them thought they could have won. Is accuracy something you could teach, do you think? Because, I, I mean, I think that is what people were most frustrated about at the end there is that, you know, the accuracy level went down. And I'm sure he was seeing different looks than he was seeing early in the season, but. You know, is that something that that can just improve because you're experienced, or is that something you either got it or you don't? Do you think? I think it improves as you ex- get experience, as you're more comfortable in the offense. Um, you know, we see the incompletions. Sometimes we don't know exactly what the route was. Did the receiver run the route to the right spot? I know there was an interception he had against Pitt where Fuente was like, that's not his fault at all. Or maybe it was Georgia Tech. Uh, the receiver broke it out, and he threw it in, and it, you know, it was a miscommunication on that sense. You know, He missed on that deep ball to Henry Murphy. I don't think uh, deep ball all year he was very good with that kind of pass. Uh, but again, you're talking about losing a guy like Cam Phillips, who you know, if there's somebody who's going to run his routes precisely where they're supposed to go, it was him. So I don't know exactly how those young receivers did in that case. I know Eric Kuma afterwards... I uh, was saying some of those incompletions are on the receivers. I mean, they dropped balls that were catchable in situations. So I don't know how much that's them just, you know, coming to the quarterback's aid and protecting him in that sense. How much is that is on Jackson? Like I said, I don't think I don't think Jackson played great, and I, I think he acknowledged that afterwards. But I, I don't think he played terrible in that game either. Which receiver was it that said both both Josh and I need to step it up? That was Kuma. It was a Kuma. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Um, all right, so they finished nine and four. The, the polls come out after the national title game. You're a poll voter. Are you going to put them in your poll? You know, it gets dicey at the bottom of the top 25, so I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I had them 22nd, I think, last time based on some of these bowl results. I, I would have to guess no. Uh, you know, I'm looking at some of those borderline teams that were right there. Mississippi State, I think I had them behind them. They won a bowl game. You know, Wake Forest won a bowl game. I think they went 9-4 and four, possibly for the season. NC State was behind them. They they won a bowl game, looked impressive doing it. They finished nine and four. Uh, they're either going to be at the very last spot in the top twenty five or just out. They're sort of in that range, and I, I think a lot of it is you go back to the season and what what were the marquee wins? I mean, it was really West Virginia, and then what was the second best win there? Boston College. Yeah. In terms of of a team's level that they they beat, uh, you know that's just not the best resume when you look through it all. And you know I wrote. The nine wins they had, there was a lot of empty calories in the nine wins. And you, you look at last year's nine wins, there were a lot more moments where you go, oh, North Carolina, Pitt, 
uh, Miami, those are all bigger wins, I think, than they had, uh, you know, outside of the West Virginia game this year, even Arkansas in the bowl game. So, uh, yeah, probably going to be borderline top 25, probably right now leaning towards no, but it, I haven't looked at everybody's resumes and kind of seen how the, the rankings might shake out. Yeah. I mean, we've mentioned, we talked about this before when we kind of summed up their season, but I, I just, I mean, they kind of did what they were supposed to do. And I, I wasn't overly impressed with anything they did. Uh, you know, like they didn't go out and they didn't go out and upset a Clemson or go out and upset an Oklahoma state. This was, this was their last, you know, obviously their last opportunity to do, we get one of those wins. I mean, they were favored to beat uh, West Virginia. They were favored big to beat a bunch of those, you know, those also ran teams that they faced. Uh, they, they lost to Georgia Tech, which was a coin flip, coin flip type of game. I don't know. There's been a lot of people just spraying praise all over this team, like they were plants that needed uh, praise spray sprayed on them. <laughs> Good analogy, Aaron. <laughs> Nailed it. That's why I make the big bucks here. <laughs> There's some sort of praise sprayers, as though they're plants who need praise sprayed on them. <laughs> But you know, it's like I don't I don't like the fans that are overly negative. But I also I'm not I'm not on board with these people that are like, you know, this was a this was a great season. What a season! What a job Puente did. I just I don't see it. I just don't see it. I think it was a decent job given what they had coming back. I mean, this was maybe it was obscured by the fact that they started what seven and one. Was that what they were going into the Miami game? Yeah. Um, you know, I predicted eight and four before the season, and I, I thought that felt about right for this team. I thought they might lose a game that they they probably shouldn't, and maybe the Georgia Tech game was that. But I'm looking at somebody like Duke or a BC somewhere in there. They finished nine and three in the regular season, and they did so after losing the all-time leading receiver in school history, which has since been surpassed by Cam Phillips. Uh, you know, a six-seven tight end who had 22 career touchdowns, something like that. Uh, a quarterback who set the total offense record in his one year in Blacksburg, in addition to some offensive linemen who were starting Sam Rogers on offense. That's a lot of offensive pieces to lose. And then to turn around, and it's not like you have some, you know, guy that's been a four years waiting his turn quarterback to go to a redshirt freshman with a bunch of young receivers and inexperienced running backs and everything that goes along with that. I think it was a rebuilding year. And to go 9-3 in a rebuilding year, regardless of who you ended up beating, or 9-4, and four, I should say, with the bowl loss, I still think that's a decent job. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, it was better than his first year, because I don't think it was. I think they were a better team. They reached greater heights against better competition uh, last year. But to go 9-3, and three, I mean, a lot of teams don't go 9-3. and three. I mean, it, there were a lot of bad teams in the Coastal. You didn't see them other teams taking advantage of that and going nine and three against that competition. I mean, Georgia Tech finished five and six. I mean, that that's a rebuilding year too. And they had the, you know, I guess they had a new quarterback this year. But uh, to go nine and three, I think sometimes people discard nine and four. You know, with the bowl game, people kind of poo-poo that. But it's back in the right direction, and certainly for a team that was essentially a 500 team and in Frank Beamer's last four years, I think that's a positive sign for the program. I'm not going to say like, oh, it's upward trajectory and you know, sky's the limit for them next year because I think they're still going to be ironing out some things on that offense. Potentially the defense could be great uh, if some of these NFL decisions are favorable to Virginia Tech here coming up. But, uh, you know, I think the offense will still be a work in progress next year. But I, I think 9-3, and 9-4 uh, overall for the season is a good step this year. 
Six and seven against the spread. That's, that's all you think about it. is the spread. Yeah, no, perhaps I'm being too harsh, but I, I do. That is I, sometimes seventeen point lines are tough to reach. That's true. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I just I, I never was wowed or surprised or blown away. I, I thought the the I really did think the West Virginia game was a, a really nice win. I mean, obviously that's a that's a team that that really wants to beat your brains out. It's the opener. There, everyone's pumped up. To plus, get that win was a really, really nice win, and that probably set my expectations a little higher than they should have been. Plus, that win looks worse in hindsight than the other. I think West Virginia finished seven and six, but that was a different team without Will Greer. Uh, they probably would have lost Oklahoma either way in the uh, uh, last game of the Big 12 season, but then they get beaten by Utah in the bowl game where Greer doesn't play. I think that's a team that maybe was better than its record indicated. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the NFL decisions that are coming up. Uh, Let's go down the list here. I mean, give me a yay or nay. You, you want to do it that way, or you want to just give me a general thought on the group? Well, is it a yay or nay should they, or yay or nay will they? Uh, let's do both. Let's do both. Okay. okay, Tremaine Edmonds, yay or nay he will? Uh, I'm thinking he might come back. Might come back. Okay, yay or nay he should come back or go. Uh, well, I mean, he's got first-round talent, and this isn't like – you know, blowing smoke first round talent. It's like he's 6'5", 250, you can, you know, cover the entire field. That's the kind of athlete that an NFL team would look for. It's not, it's not like they'd be drafting some undersized linebacker or something like this. This is an NFL-sized linebacker who can move like they want NFL linebackers to do. So all things considered, with the talent that he has, with the injury risk of coming back, I could totally understand going pro if you're a first-round projection like that. Well, remember, we were standing on the field at Campy World Stadium, and I said... <laughs> So that's what an NFL player looks like. I mean, he was just like right in front of us, and he's like, he just towers over everyone. Well, I mean, Virginia Tech doesn't have the biggest linebackers to begin yeah. with. I think Matupawak is five eleven or six feet or whatever they list him at. He's not an you know overbearing presence on the field. And then you've got Tremaine that runs by, and he's six five. You're like, that's like a power forward. Like that guy is enormous. Uh, it, it's very you know if you were. To watch this team come off the plane, you go Tremaine Edmonds and Joshua Nijman. Those are the two NFL best NFL guys because they're just I mean, physical marvels when you look at them. I mean, they're just enormous, and certainly for their position, and certainly at a college team, they would stand out. But yeah, I, I think Tremaine definitely uh, would have the talent to go. But I think you look at it's kind of a unique situation with him. He's got the family thing at Virginia Tech. He's got his brother. Uh, who probably would be wise to come back for a senior season. I don't know if their decisions are tied or anything like that, but uh, you know, there's sort of a lure of family to come back. He's really young. Uh, I think he, if he were to enter the draft, he'd be the youngest player in the draft because uh, all the Edmonds brothers reclassified, I think, when they were going from uh, you know, private school as uh, elementary schoolers going to high school at that point. So I think they all skipped a grade somewhere in there, so they're younger uh, than their peers uh, and in their grade level. So Tremaine is a true junior who is younger than his age. Uh, so maybe that's a factor going into it. Uh, you know, I, I think the Edmondses are very big on education. I think Mama Edmonds would not mind if, if Tremaine came back and got his degree. I think there are a lot of reasons to come back. But, man, it, it's tough to turn down that guaranteed money 
uh, of being a first rounder and come back with an injury risk. I know that you can buy those sort of policies to protect against that, but it doesn't protect against everything uh, necessarily. So it'll be an interesting decision for him. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if during the recording of this podcast, they, something comes out about that because that's usually how it works immediately after I post this is when some news breaks like that. But uh, it should be coming up soon. The deadline is January 15th to, to declare for the draft. Yeah, I'd love to see him another year in Blacksburg, but I, I would go if I were him. I just would. Uh, all right, you kind of covered his brother Terrell too, so let's move on to Tim Settle. Yes or no, he's going to go. He's one I think might go. Uh, I, I think he could do well by himself to come back for another year. He's only started for one year. Uh, to get more experience. He's, he was a redshirt sophomore last year, so he's eligible if he wants after this year to go to the draft. Uh, I think probably those NFL teams wouldn't mind seeing a little bit more of him on film, but again, I really can't fault a guy for going if he feels like he's ready. I, I, I don't, I'd be curious to see what the NFL had to say about uh, Tim's, uh, you know, what round they would project him to go at because, uh, you know, I'm sure they look at him and they go, can he keep the weight down in the NFL? And that's always an issue. He's been great about it at Tech. Uh, he's actually lost like 30-some pounds uh, to get in much better playing shape. But, uh, you know, I think they like to see a little bit more on film than one season that he had. And it was a great season that he had, but, you know, for a redshirt sophomore, that that's uh, putting a lot on the line, I think, to, to take it to the next level. All right, how about Adonis Alexander? He should come back based on the season that he had last year. He might go. I'm, I'm not. I don't really have a read on him one way or another, uh, just because he's a six foot three, two hundred corner. And you know, when you're looking at NFL stuff, I think when you looked at a lot of the sort of mock drafts that people throw out before the year, which you know, the the accuracy of those things is just is people throwing stuff against the wall. They, they don't really know before a season whether a guy's going to go. But you saw him in a lot of those projections and a lot of those potentially first or second round projections there's no way he'd be that high now but because of his size i mean he's 6'3 200 and in the nfl where they have those big physical receivers you're going to want somebody like that who can play cornerback that's physical now i don't think he had a great season uh you know he had a two-game suspension in there uh you know he's been suspended before and this was another suspension i wonder if that plays into his mind like oh man i'm i'm one strike away from you know getting kicked out of here at this point or something i don't know if that's true but uh, you know, it, it probably has to be a possibility when you're factoring all this stuff in. Uh, but, man, if he comes back, he could be a starting cornerback. Uh, you know, I, I would assume that Jeremy Webb, the junior college guy they, tr- they signed, would, would be a, a guy that could potentially be a cornerback. You're talking about two six foot three, 195, 200-pound guys at cornerback potentially. Uh, that'd be a pretty good start, especially when you're losing guys like Greg Stroman and Brandon Faison. So uh, I think if, <laughs> the Hokies would certainly love to get a guy like that back and, and put together a solid senior season that would maybe improve his draft stock quite a bit. Ricky Walker? I don't think he'll go. Uh, he sort of has a chip on his shoulder from the all-ACC snub that he had uh he seems to be one that really likes the college experience when I mean, he's like the leader on the, on this defense, they've called him the bell cow over and over. Uh, I just never got the sense from him that it was like a, a serious thing. Maybe I'm reading that wrong, but I, I would imagine that he comes back. Do you think there's any possibility that these guys seeing what happened to Gerard Evans last year, that that has any bearing on their own decision? No, I don't. Everyone believes in themselves, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean it wasn't even – I mean, you look at Bucky Hodges and Isaiah Ford. I mean, they go, both got drafted in the sixth round, I believe, and neither of them – I mean, Bucky kind of bounced around on some practice squads, and Isaiah got hurt, so who knows if he would have made the roster if he hadn't gotten hurt. 
probably had a chance, but sixth rounder is still no guarantee. Gerard Evans not getting drafted. If I were a player, I would look at that and go, man, that's tough to do. Uh, tough to go up like that and not play a single game all season. But nobody ever thinks in that that uh, certain. Nobody has that train of thought. They're all thinking, well, no, that's their situation. This is my situation. I'm good enough to make it against us. I mean, that's sort of the mentality of athletes: is I'm better than the guy that I'm going against. And I think that that plays itself through in the in the draft. Like, oh, they might not have me ranked high in this draft order, but I'm going to prove them wrong. I, I think that's just sort of the athlete mentality. And and sometimes you know. It, the other side of it is a lot of these guys have dreamed of playing in the NFL for a long time. And when your dream is within grasp like that, it's tough to be patient and say, no, I'll put it off for another year. Or, no, I, I don't want to uh, I, I want to turn down this NFL money again to come be a, a poor college student for another season. I mean, sometimes that, that sort of like the NFL life and, and being able to be a professional and stuff like that, the lure is so strong of that that, that maybe uh, – People don't make the best decisions long term. It's more of a short term thing. And sometimes they listen to their inner circle. You know, it's like they're a plant, and their inner circle's plants bring praise <laughs> all over them, and then they just can't ignore that. That's the most apt analogy that you've used yet so far. I still didn't nail it on the second <laughs> try. <laughs> I don't think people are understanding the the plant spray in this situation. Brief look ahead to next year. Uh, obviously, we'll get into way more of this uh, in future podcasts. But just based on what you know now and, you know, kind of maybe throwing in what you think might happen with these NFL guys, uh, what kind of team is Tech going to have next year? I think it should be an improved team. I mean, this could potentially be as good of a defense as they had this year if certain guys come back. I mean, you lose Matua Pawaka, you lose uh, Faison and Stroman. Uh, you know, we'll see who else goes pro out of this group, but I, I think you can find somebody to replace Matua Pawaka. I mean, the, the leadership is there, obviously. I think he was always going to be sort of limited physically in some of the things that he did. Uh, but if you got Tremaine Edmonds playing next to him, if he does come back, uh, that makes up for a lot of faults, maybe, that the Mike linebacker might have in his first year. I mentioned the cornerback situation before. You know, you lose some depth there, obviously, but there's the potential that you could have some pretty good guys uh, stepping into those spots. Uh, so I think this defense can be very strong. I think offensively, everybody's a year older. Everybody's going to go through another conditioning uh, offseason here. Uh, some of those guys are doing it for the first time. Uh, Sean Savoy, Hezekiah Grimsley, guys like that that were sort of coming on. You know, Savoy played like that pretty well the whole year. Grimsley came along near the end of the season. Uh, you know, experience matters in this kind of stuff. So I, I think the offense can be better, certainly if the ground game uh, runs the ball like they did the last couple weeks. I think that would help. Uh, you know, the schedule's interesting. They play that Labor Day night game at Florida State, which, you know, last year you're looking at that. Florida State's number three going into the season. Jimbo's a couple years removed from a national championship, and you go, oh, my gosh, that's going to be – clash of the titans there it's gonna be such a tough road game and all of a sudden now you have willie taggart coaching his first game at florida state and deandre francois coming back from a knee injury and how's that all gonna play out all of a sudden that game's a lot more interesting or a lot more uh winnable i think uh from virginia tech standpoint uh schedule's pretty manageable they have notre dame at home in early october that'll be a really interesting game uh you know road trips in the acc duke north carolina pitt 
Uh, Pitt has been a problem to play at in recent years, but uh, you know, kind of going through a transition last year, uh, weren't as strong of a team, even though they took the Hokies down to the wire. You know, North Carolina and Duke, I think those are places that you can win at. You get you know, Georgia Tech at home, Miami at home, Boston College at home. I think it's a manageable schedule. Uh, certainly, get, you know, depending on how that Florida State game goes in the opener, that'll be a really interesting one to start the season. But the potential is there for this team to, to do pretty well, I think. Well, the title game is set. Uh, both teams are from the SEC. And I noted in my column today, I wrote a little bowl wrap-up uh, column, you know, that the SEC went 4-5 and five overall, but uh, nobody's going to remember that because Georgia and Alabama are the, are the teams meeting in the title game. Uh, what did you think of the uh, two semifinals? Well, I picked them both wrong. That was my first thing. I had Georgia, but I was wrong. I didn't have Georgia. Alabama. I thought I was, like, I was looking good with Oklahoma there. and They're like up seven with five minutes left, and it's – like, for some reason, they just took the ball out of Baker Mayfield's hand. They're like, nope, let's run the wide receiver end around on third down. It's like, what are you doing? That's just a curious play calling there uh, by Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley there at the end. Uh, I thought that was one of the best football games of the year, that Georgia-Oklahoma game, followed up by one of the most disappointing games of the year, the Alabama-Clemson one. I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't watch a whole lot of the Alabama-Clemson one because it was just such a – it was so boring. I mean, it, the game was over. Certainly once they got that pick six there, uh, I think that came on the heels. I can't remember if that was before or after that defensive end caught a touchdown as a tight end after he picked up the – or got the interception. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I guess the SEC is going to be able to crow a lot even though it was a pretty top-heavy league this year. I think once you get past about Auburn – the league was pretty average uh, after those top three teams. Uh, but, you know, you, you can't fault the SEC for this. I mean, they had two teams that got into the playoff, and then the two teams won their games once they got in there. So this is the championship game that we got. I remember early in the season doing my poll, and I had Alabama one and Georgia number two at one point, I think. Uh, and I'm like, this is not going to hold. I mean, obviously these two teams will play each other in the SEC championship game, and they didn't end up doing it. So this is the matchup now that we – uh, we're maybe kind of anticipating early in the year. I think it's going to be a great game. Uh, I know there's some SEC fatigue and stuff like that, but, I mean, they have these two teams playing in Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta is like a home away from home for Alabama because they play there so often, and it's essentially a home field for Georgia, which is not that far from it as well. I mean, I can't even imagine what the average ticket price to get oh. into this thing is going to be. Uh, I'm just hoping for a really good game. I mean, last time they had the two SEC teams playing the title game, it was that – just I think Alabama shut out LSU, and it was just a boring game with a bunch of field goals. I don't think that'll be this one. I think there'll be a little more offense in this one, and I'm I'm curious to see how it goes. Yeah, we'll pick that one to end this thing. But what do you think of UCF? I mean, Central Florida finishes 13 and 0. They beat Auburn in their bowl game. We know Auburn's probably not the most motivated to play in that game, but. Auburn don't was, use that excuse. Auburn, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that no, excuse. No, I, I was I was thrilled to see UCF win. I picked them in the bowl guide, which didn't do very well. Finished uh, one game under 500, which is embarrassing, and in the uh, second worst uh, bowl guide ever. But that's an aside there. But uh, UCF was you know one of the great wins of the bowl season. You know nine and a half point dogs. Auburn's the only team that's beaten both of the title game participants. Um, you know, did UCF get hosed here by not having an opportunity to play in the uh, in the playoff? 
this might seem contradictory when I say that. I thought it was a great win they had over Auburn. I thought Auburn was plenty motivated in that game. I always hated when uh, you know an SEC team loses in the bowl game. It's like, well, they didn't make the title game, so they had nothing to play for. Why were they? It's like, no, come on. Auburn was a motivated team. They just lost the game. Very nice win for UCF. I do not think they got hosed in the playoff. I don't either. I don't. I just – I look at the schedule that they played. It just wasn't good enough to, to, to get into that – uh, playoff contention and maybe they could have competed with those teams i'm just curious if they could have put together the kind of resume that they did playing in the big 10 or the sec and i didn't always used to think that way until i saw some of these teams like tcu and and uh utah that always used to be the uh you know the, the small conference darlings before they got into power conferences and then they get into power conferences and they go oh this is tough this is a grind from week to week and you haven't seen tcu do quite as well as it did uh, you know, on those teams, uh, honestly, when Fuente was the offensive coordinator for Gary Patterson down there, when they're, uh, you know, finishing undefeated and beating Wisconsin and things like that, Utah hasn't come close to that team that uh, beat Alabama in 2008, I think it was. I actually covered that Sugar Bowl where they beat Alabama down there. Uh, and Brian Johnson, I think, was the quarterback. Uh, I just, it's to, to before. UCF beat Auburn, their two best wins in the season were to beat Memphis twice. And Memphis lost to Iowa State in the Liberty Bowl or whatever it is. It's just not as tough of a, a road that they have traveled to get to that point. So I I see nothing wrong. Maybe the committee treated them a little harshly. I think they had them like 12th or yeah, something like 12th. that. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember where I had them. I thought it was top 10. I think uh, they should have been like 7th or something. I like think that. when the when – the, Everything shakes out. I might have them around sixth or seventh. Yeah. Because uh, I I think the four teams that were in the playoff, I still will have them up there. Ohio State will be ahead of them. Uh, but they beat the team I had sixth, I think. Well, actually, Wisconsin might be up there too. So maybe seventh when all is said and done. Uh, great team. I just I still wonder if playing a schedule like other people do, if they're going to do that from week to week to week. And I know the SEC. Like you look at the Alabama schedule, it wasn't that great in the SEC, but. You go into Mississippi State on a in a night game on a Saturday, and that's a lot more daunting than going to, you know, SMU. Yeah. Uh, even though SMU is an okay team this year, I mean, it just some of those teams that you wouldn't expect to jump up and bite you. You know, Syracuse catches Clemson on the wrong night. I, I just don't think you get that playing in the AAC. I agree. I agree. I do, I do think that the committee hosed them a little bit by put them at twelve because. I think they just wanted to make sure they weren't in the conversation at all. Like, you know, that, that nobody was waiting to see whether they were going to be unveiled as one of the four because they were so far left out of that. I mean, I think there's, I think we're seeing now that they are, you know, their composition is good. You know, it's a, it's a good team, probably worthy of the top 10 rank. This is why the group of five should have their own playoff. I'd watch the heck out of that. I think that'd be so entertaining. Just a four-team playoff with a group of five teams? Yeah. Shoot, cool. go eight. Whatever you want to do. You know, a group of five, like, have at it, man. Like, have some conference champions that play. Like, I would watch, like, Toledo probably would have been in it. Uh, Memphis probably would Like, oh, I'd watch the heck out of that. Toledo stunk in the bowl game, by the way. But Toledo was a, a good team that was a borderline top 25. Boise State, Fresno State, teams like that. I think that would be really entertaining to see those teams play in a playoff for their own you know, national title, if you want to call it that. Because they're not – they're not treated like the power conference teams are, and I don't think they ever will be. So I, like, I guess they're holding out for that piece of the college football playoff pie that they get every year. But in terms of exposure or anything like that, I think it, it'd be really interesting if they branched off and did their own playoff. Well, the MAC did go one and four 
in their bowl games. So I did have that nailed. And I'll continue to fade them until the kingdom come in bowl games. Uh, Monday is the title game, but it's also potentially a, a really huge day for the Beamer family. Uh, obviously, Shane's coaching uh, on that staff at, at Georgia. And what what's going on with Frank? Is that the day he could be elected uh, to the Hall of Fame? Yeah, they make the announcement for the College Football Hall of Fame on Monday. Uh, I think it's Monday morning. Title game is Monday night. Uh, you know, looking at the history of coaches and when they go in, I don't really see how Frank would not be voted in this year. Uh, he's got the resume to do it. Uh, coaches with comparable resumes have gone in on the first year. I think the one that didn't was Jim Tressel, who had a national championship, but he also had sort of the scandal with the NCAA and the rules violations and things like that. So I think that factored into him not making it in that initial year. But uh, you know, Spurrier, he had a couple national championships, which was different, but he went in on his first year last year. Uh, certainly Frank, who's 71? I can't remember how old he is right now. I, I would imagine that he would be voted in on the very first time that he has an opportunity to do it. Uh, so yeah, you got Frank probably going to the Hall of Fame in the morning or being uh, elected to it. They have the induction the following year. Uh, you've got Shane, a special teams coordinator for Georgia, playing at night. Coming off a game that Georgia won because they blocked a field goal uh, in overtime. I mean, it was, you know, I tweeted that when it happened, I go, Beaver Bowl. And that was it. You know, that was it. And Frank was in attendance at the game. You know, they tweeted out a picture afterwards of uh, the whole family down there on the field celebrating that. Uh, yeah, that could be a very interesting game. Uh, very interesting day, I should say, for the entire Beamer family. Uh, I think it's pretty special for Frank to obviously be inducted, and I think it'd be pretty special for him to watch his son coach in the national championship game like that. Yeah, let's hope that happens for Frank. That'd be really cool. Uh, NFL-wise, I was watching the uh, Ravens game because I'm a Marylander, and uh, Ravens choked it away at the end there and opened the door for who else but Tyrod Taylor and Logan Thomas. More, more Tyrod, I think, than Logan uh, in terms of influence on the Buffalo Bills. But the Bills broke the longest drought in uh, major sports, active drought in major sports uh, playoff history. Uh, 1999? Yeah. Is that what it was? It, it, you don't really, I don't think of the Bills that way because when I was growing up, they were always in the Super Bowl. But uh, it's been a while. And, yeah, uh, the, the, the go-to woeful franchise now is the Browns. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's just like... One in thirty-one the last two years. What are you doing? But you know, good for the Bills. I, I don't really think the Bills are that good this year. I think the AFC, uh, you know, once you get past those top two teams, is very flawed uh, as a conference. And I think whoever is going to be the five and six teams in the playoffs, and as it turns out, I think it was Tennessee and Buffalo. I don't think either of those teams are that good. Uh, they are playing at Jacksonville, who I also think is not that good. So who knows how that's going to turn out? Uh, but you know, good for the Bills. And the, you, it's kind of weird because they threw that Nathan Peterman thing in, in at the midseason that basically just threw away a game in the middle of the season. They're like, well, we're going to go to this guy who's totally unprepared, throws five interceptions in one half. Oh, we'll go back to you, Tyrod. It's like they're, they're almost winning in spite of some of these coaching decisions that they made. But, you know, good for Tyrod. Good for the Bills to get there. Uh, you know, their fans obviously have been waiting forever to, to get there and then to do it. I mean, Andy Dalton – throwing a 50-yard touchdown pass on the Ravens in the last minute. And I think a bunch of Bills fans have then, like, gone on to donate to Andy Dalton's charity. <laughs> <laughs> he raised, like, $50,000 just from Bills fans donating to his charity. Uh, you know, that's a good thing to come out of this whole thing. <laughs> but, but I'm still glad that Peterman thing happened. I mean, it, it provided a great 
mid-season laugh. I mean, just that whole scenario was... That's still Isn't that amazing? Like, at the time, they just completely threw that game away. Do you think that this team would be making the playoffs? Again, I realize it's the you know, in the in the NFC, this team wouldn't even come close to the playoffs because the NFC is deep. Uh, you know, whoever comes out of there, hopefully the Vikings, in my case, is a Vikings fan. Uh, but, man, uh, I don't think Buffalo would have stood a chance in the NFC. But the AFC, you get in. It's a good it's a good accomplishment for the Bills. What is Logan's role in that team? Does he play a lot? or He caught a touchdown earlier. I'm not sure how much he plays. He's certainly not the starter. Uh, you know, they got Charles Clay there as the starter at tight end. But he's on the roster, I believe. He's an active player on the roster. Uh, I would assume that he does some special team stuff. Gotcha. Okay. One other NFL note, uh, Bruce Arians retired, of course, former Virginia Tech quarterback, uh, Arizona Cardinals coach. Uh, any thoughts on Bruce? Yeah, I don't think he's going to be the 10th Hokies assistant coach. <laughs> There's all these people out there. Like, whenever somebody retires, like, man, Bruce Arians would be good in that spot. It's like, he's retiring. Like, he's, he wanted to continue coaching the NFL. He's like, I just, something felt different. I just didn't have the energy for it anymore. He wants to retire. He wants to be close to his grandchildren. He doesn't want to be on the road recruiting as a, you know, $150,000 assistant or whatever it is. Same deal with, you know, Michael Vick or Cam Chancellor. How about Rich Rod? If this, he got let go Yeah, today. if this neck injury forces Cam Chancellor to retire, these guys are, you know, multimillionaires. They're not going to start back at the bottom in a coaching career like that, I would not imagine. Uh, no, it, you know, it's kind of a shame with Bruce Arians that he didn't get a head coaching job until later in his career. And uh, he was such a good assistant coach uh, with the Steelers for the longest time. And, you know, with the Colts, uh, when Chuck Pagano had his uh, cancer uh, treatment that he was going through, and, and Arians won Coach of the Year as an interim coach uh, and when Pagano had to step away. Uh, that got him the gig in Arizona. And they had a couple good years, and then, you know, injuries caught up with them with Carson Palmer and everything, who also just retired. Uh it was interesting somebody put the tweet out there. They're like, ah, my favorite stat of all time. And it was single-season Hokies uh, touchdowns by a quarterback. And I said, number one, Bruce Arians with 11. Then the next two were like Michael Vick with nine. Michael Vick with seven. Tyrod Taylor with six. It's like, yes, that is a good stat if it were 2010 because Logan Thomas has run for 11 in a season and Gerard Evans has since broken that with 12 in a season. So it was it's like, I looked at the response of this tweet guy. It was like 1600 retweets and 5,000 likes. I'm like, it's wrong. The tweet is wrong. Like it's factually incorrect. It was a like, great stat. I love that stat. It's like, stop referencing the stat. It's wrong. And I, I think Kyle Bailey even tweeted, is like, man, Bruce could play. And I'm like, you know, except for the fact that, Logan had as many as him, and Gerard has since broken the record. It's just like... Well, did you reply to every everyone? You no, I didn't. I, I, I replied to Kyle because he put it out there, but I didn't want to go to like the guy that tweeted and be like, well, actually, I hate the well, actually guy when they do it, but I, re I responded to Kyle. Like, you know, we, well, he's wrong on this particular tweet, but... The point was that Bruce Arians had more rushing touchdowns in a single season than Michael Vick ever did, which is, when you right. think about it, pretty interesting. Uh, and Tyrod, too. I mean, Tyrod, yeah, I Tyrod mean, was a hell of a runner uh, in his day, too. So, yeah, that must have been one heck of an offense they were running back then. Well, I think it was just the offense. They, it was like they just ran the wishbone or whatever it was. Yeah, but the Bruce and I don't think it was necessarily a prolific offense or a great offense or anything like that. It was just that that was the offense the quarterback ran the ball a lot. Right. All right, let's wrap this thing up with a title game prediction. The uh, line is four and a half in favor of <laughs> Alabama. And, of course, Alabama, the, the line moved 
significantly in their direction to three and a half. People don't like moving. A lot odds makers don't like moving off that three number, but they did it for Alabama in that Clemson game because all the money was coming in on Alabama. And rightfully so, as it turned out, covered with ease. Which side are you taking in that uh, against the spread there? I think I saw this stat, and you know I'm going to cite it. Uh, if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm going to blame the random person on Twitter who put it out there that I'm citing the stat. Nick Saban is 11-0 and against former assistants of his. Kirby Smart being a former assistant in this game, it's tough to out Saban Saban. And Kirby Smart has sort of run the Saban playbook since he got to Georgia's. Recruit like heck, have a really strong defense, do enough on offense, although I think Georgia has a, a much more capable offense than you know just get, get by. I mean, they got those running backs that Jake Fromm guy has been uh, amazing as a freshman as the quarterback. But I don't know. Alabama looks awfully healthy in that Clemson game. Uh, I mean, they dominated uh, up front offense and defense. It's tough to, to move the ball and get yards against that Clemson defense, and Alabama was doing it at times. Uh, I guess the question mark is Jalen Hurts, how he's going to perform against that Georgia defense. But uh, I'm going to go back to that stat, 11-0 and against former assistants. I, I just like Nick Saban to pull this one out. You know, I think that line's going to go off something in the neighborhood of six, six and a half. I think. I don't know if I'd like the line that high. I think people are going to pounce on this on this Alabama side. I, something just I don't know why. Just I like you know obviously Georgia gave up a lot of points in that in Oklahoma State game, but I love the way they play defense. Um, I love that that linebacker they have. He's just, he's, he's you know he kind of reminds me of Ray Lewis back when they, you know just a, a vocal leader and. and all over the place, making plays. Rokon Smith, Pope, you're talking about? Yeah. Pope. I mean, he, you know, obviously one player doesn't shut a whole uh, team down, but I, I kind of like Georgia's makeup, and I'm, I'm going to take the points here and hope for the best. Because if that covers, then I'll finish 500 in my ball back. I don't know how I go against the line. I just think Alabama will win. That's. Uh... It feels that way. That's it? a cop out. I just, you know, if I'm trying to pick a winner in this game, I'm going. I think Alabama's going to win. I'll leave the line discussion to you. Uh, you're yeah, better. I mean, you're, you're always, much better at that than I am. You could always lay the money line. It should be something like minus two hundred or something. You're talking over my head. I don't know how that works. Well, want to take a, t- a second to thank everybody for listening throughout the season. I mean, we got a lot of listens. We appreciate it. Uh, certainly, it's been fun interacting with people who listen on Twitter. Kind of the running jokes around th- throughout the season. Really enjoy it. This is not going away, but obviously, we'll move into off-season mode here soon and. I guess we'll just get together whenever there's stuff to talk about. Yeah, I think there's still plenty to talk about this time of year. You know, we'll have some NFL decisions over the next couple of weeks. They'll hire a new coach. Uh, I'm not sure when, but I think they can start doing that on January 10th. Uh, I think it's the first day. You know, recruiting will be wrapping up. There'll be some stuff to talk about here soon, and, and maybe there's ways to expand this podcast to, to be more than just you and I yapping every week and making branch out a little bit in that sense. But we'll, we'll figure out a way to keep this thing going. Yeah, your interview with Shane Graham would be a good example of, of something that worked very well, and I, there's probably opportunities to do things like yeah, that. Yeah, I think I might try to get on the ball and bring out some more outside people to, to fill the weeks here when we we don't necessarily have a whole bunch to talk about. Well, that sounds good. Hopefully you'll look out for it, and we'll always tweet it when we uh, after we've recorded one. But until then, for Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarlane. We will see you next time.